I wasn't like excited, you know, I was more like, okay, you know, let's see, let's get this done. Let's see if I can pull it off and get this third national title. You know, it was more like almost something like I drag, like I had to go get done. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast presented by Spartan Combat. This is your host, Ryan Warner. It's Tuesday, January 10th. Great episode for you today. Our guest is Gabe Dean, two-time national champ for Cornell. He's now the founder and runs a business called My Storage out of Lowell, Michigan. In this episode, we talk about the problem of college wrestling. And you'll see what I mean when we get into this. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not a doomsday guy. I love college wrestling. There's a lot going right. But there's also some things that are happening last year and this year that are a little concerning. And I love Gabe's take on this. So we break down what those are. We also take questions from Twitter. Gabe gets into his match with Bo Nickel. Hope you enjoy it. Fan of the week goes to our friend Michael Maddox from Sherman, Illinois, the proud new owner of a Wrestling Changed My Life coffee mug. I'm standing at my desk. I have my Wrestling Changed My Life coffee mug as well. So thank you so much, Michael. We appreciate it. If you want a coffee mug supporting Wrestling Changed My Life, go to store.wrestlingchangedmylife.com. Before we get to this episode, a quick thank you from our sponsors, Beat the Street Chicago. I want to thank a listener of this podcast. This individual is a listener of this podcast and heard the call to support Beat the Street Chicago and gave a $1,500 donation. So thank you very much. Beat the Street Chicago is a first-class organization. They just released their impact report for 2022, which you can read on btschicago.org. Here are a few high-level stats. In 2022, they worked with over 2,500 wrestlers. Those wrestlers logged over 450 hours of after-school homework help, and 91% of them reported having more self-confidence. 86% felt more accountable for themselves. So this is an organization that's out there in the trenches doing real work every day, and our goal is for every Chicagoan, Chicago youth, I should say, to say that wrestling changed their life. So if you feel impacted by wrestling and want to support an organization that's doing the Lord's work, go to btschicago.org donate. That's btschicago.org donate. This episode is also brought to you by Quant Wrestling. Quant takes the money ball approach to college wrestling. They track and timestamp hundreds of activities in a college wrestling match input that data into their cloud analytics platform and on their app which you can download in the Apple and Google Play stores you can see detailed statistics on college wrestlers you can compare different wrestlers so go to Quant Wrestling on the Apple and Google Play stores Quant Wrestling download the app now and that's it folks let's give it up for the great Gabe D my man let's go Hey, hey, there might be every now and then a little bit of background noise. I'm in our offices right now at my storage, so. I love it. I love <clears> it, man. I'm excited to ask you all about it. Like, you guys are building locations out like crazy. Yeah, we're we're growing. Yeah, we're growing. We got a great team. I'm excited 
So excited to get your thoughts on this topic. I did not listen to the interview on Saturday with you and McDonough and uh, Moyer on purpose. So, <laughs> so folks who aren't in the Twitterverse, there's some there's some chatter. It goes on every year, but there's some chatter that the way we're doing college wrestling changes need to be made, or we risk you know, maybe our sport becoming a little less popular. So let's just start from the top, Gabe. What do you think is the biggest problem with college wrestling now? Well, we're incentivized to just compete really three days out of the year. I mean, um, you look at it structurally, right? Uh, and all the most successful sports organizations are run like businesses. So, um, you know, why does everybody tune in on every Sunday for NFL football game? It's because it holds stakes throughout the year that you have to hit these certain benchmarks, you know, um, wild card, you know, you're trying to get in a wild card spot. If your, your team's average, and then you're, you know, you're trying to lock in that first seed and have home field advantage in the bye week going into the playoffs if you're if you're really competing well. So we just, I mean, I don't even know where to start. It's just, I kind of noticed it. I, I kind of noticed it at the Big Tens last year. Um, you know, I was there watching Max. And the last day, um, there was just forfeit after forfeit after forfeit you know and all these placement matches that um you know a lot of really highly ranked guys people were looking forward to um and then even one in the finals and uh the next morning I actually was having coffee with my mom at just a local place in Lincoln and uh one of the Big Ten uh network guys just happened to sit down next to us and we were talking about ratings and uh that final day it just tanked their ratings because one they didn't know all those forfeits were going to happen the coaches did not uh give a heads up and then two um it just you know even even if you were to have the prep time to announce that all those match matchups weren't going to happen people just turned it off um <clears throat> so and i've kind of laughed because i'm seeing people saying well wrestling is the most popular it's ever been um you know and I'm like, well, wrestling was just added to the Big Ten Network. So, yes, our numbers are up. But, you know, what is sustainable? Uh, and then women's wrestling is growing like mad, which is awesome. So, but I think that's giving a huge bias towards, like, our actual growth and sustainability in the future. So. Yeah, it's. So, last year, the Big Tens, it was obvious. And it was it was ugly because it was it's our it's our big day for the for the Big Ten Network. That's like the big that's their Super Bowl, right? The Big Ten Championships. So I think there's the medical forfeit issue. Why is that come up? You think so recently, or is it is it just every year we think it is? Um, well, I don't want to be like the guy that like just says like broadly like, you know, the character of kids, you know, in, uh, is like decreasing, you know, um, I just feel, and Matt and I talked about this on the, on the show. We just, we both had the same opinion, you know, even when we were competing and we were, we were, you know, not that long ago. I mean, we're not necessarily uh, spring chickens anymore, but, <laughs> <laughs> but we weren't like that long ago. And um, <clears throat> we just, it mattered, you know, like it, there wasn't really too much thought into like, are you going to compete or are you not? You know, there, that, that, that wasn't like, if you were, unless you're, you know, you had a real serious injury, you were competing. I mean, it's just a standard that was held, you know, across the board. And I think now you have two things happening. One, I don't think there's a level of expectation there. Um, you know, kids definitely, I mean, just I think media the media gets worse and worse you know so the kids the level of expectation is not the same and the standard and I think the NIL stuff has hurt it a lot too um and I say that because uh we've shifted the focus of you know why we compete because we're competitors and we love to do it as to now it's about my brand. It's about how much money I can make. It's about protecting all this, um, which just quite frankly sucks because it sucks for the fan. And at the end of the day, the sport completely is dependent on the consumer is the fans. It is not the wrestlers. It's not the coaches. It's not the athletic directors. It's the fans. And 
if you don't got anybody tuning in to watch, if you don't have anybody in the stands watching, you really just don't have a sport. I mean, would the NFL continue to play football games with no fans, no, no, no network deals, nothing like that? No. So, you know, 10 years ago when this was visited, you know, you know, a couple of the changes we need to make, um, the NCAA asked the coaches and the athletic directors, and I'm like, of course, you know, it's great. You know, they, they have to be on the same page and they have their concerns um, with change, which is valid. But at the same time, we're asking the wrong pool of people. I put out a Twitter poll just for the fun of it. How many people would come to a dual meet national championships if it was structured like basketball, you know, long weekend. And I think even you were the one that, or I can't remember who suggested like an elite eight, then a final four, then, you know, lead up to the, and 94% of the people out of 600 people voted, yes, I would be there, you know? So I just feel like we're asking, you know, hey, should we change to the wrong group of people that, you know, and from a, from a, just like a consumer and product standpoint. That's an interesting way to look at it is that, yeah, asking the coaches, and I think someone on Flow said this, it'd be like Roger Goodell asking Bill Belichick about a season change or a structure change. Like they're not going to do well, They that. don't change. I mean, they, they, Bill Belichick doesn't pick his schedule. You know, something that's really interesting about college wrestling, and I don't know how many people know this, but um, the college coaches pick their schedules outside of their conference. Mm. So when you, if you're the head coach of Illinois and I'm the head coach of NC State, you, you're calling me up to try to convince me to wrestle you. And, you know, for, and that, that, that's a huge issue because the coaches, there's, there's the personal agenda of coaches. There's the, there's the overall program as, as a whole. There's, you know, you obviously don't want to like have your guys in just a, a grueling matchup every day. Um, but at the same time, it's, I think it's weird that coaches pick their schedule out of conference. It's mm. like, nobody does that. Nobody. I mean, I don't know about other NCAs. I mean, I know college football doesn't do that, but the uh, like the big time big sports organizations, they have a commissioner, they have a board, they have, you know, people outside of the coaches picking the schedules and, and developing that in a very in, in a way that promotes viewership into the fan base. So that's like the overarching goal. Like the all, everything is geared towards that. Like what's going to make it a better viewing product. And so they're going to do whatever they can. If wrestling's a product, how can we put the best product forward? Now, happy medium through keeping athletes healthy and keeping them, you know, the, the gruelingness of wrestling. I understand that. And I think that's some of the coaching concerns, which are valid. But if wrestling is a product, how do we put the best product forward? Well, right now we're doing a terrible, terrible job of that. I mean, I didn't watch the skull for the Midlands this year. I mean, I just, I mean, everybody medically forfeited out or there were B teams were showing up or, and, and nothing against those kids, but like what everybody wants to see one and two or one and three or one and four or two and six, or everybody wants to see the top 10 matchups and the, and the ranked matchups. And the more that we're losing that <clears throat> because of our structure, the, the, we're just not on a sustainable path. And the weird part is that the amount of matches they're wrestling now are way less than the amount of matches there were even, even like your freshman year. I looked it up 43 and three incredible record, by the way, 40, <laughs> 46 matches though. That is uh and so like that, I was thinking about it. I don't know how many sports over the last 15 years that are growing have reduced their schedule by a third or b- reduced the viewing opportunities by a third. That's a great point too. I mean, the opportunities just to even view the view the matches, right? To buy a third, that's a that thirty three percent decrease is substantial. And can you imagine if we lost a third of the football season or a third of the basketball season or any of the big power sports? You know, if they just wiped out a third of their their competition, I mean, that's a huge huge revenue loss, and, and they that I mean, it would just be such an impact just from a financial standpoint. Right. Um, but that that's a great point too. You know, when I, in, in my first year, like, I didn't win any open tournaments. You know, I took a lot of lumps, and um, so I wrestled back. Like, I'd lose, like, second round and wrestle six matches back and take, you know, sixth. I wrestled 74 matches my first year in college. Whoa. Between folk style, <laughs> between folk style and freestyle. Wow. And 
that was, it's probably, obviously that's not sustainable. You should not do that every year, but, but it, that's why I think I transitioned. So that's a huge reason why I transitioned so well from high school to college. Cause I got 74 college matches or 70, you know, 74 matches at the college and senior level. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't winning. I didn't win one tournament, but I, it, it definitely was like, it got me ready for the next year, which I still wrestled 46 matches next year. And I wrestled, I think, 159 matches or 160. I can't remember the number, but right around there in my total career, which is about 40 matches a year, plus the 74 from the first year. And I just think about that, and I'm like, <clears throat> there's some guys' records, they're like in the teens going into nationals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that's insane. I just think it's crazy. Like, Do you think it's that – the semester's too long, um, and so people are – they're wanting to kind of rest up and not cut through all the, the holidays. I think ideally what we – what we sh- I mean, I mean, this would take a lot of change, but ideally for the sport of wrestling where we'd be sitting is um, we, we definitely need to take the team championship and make it uh, a dual meet format. I mean, I just – you know, even like watching, and I watched them. I actually watched the duel. Even watching like Wisconsin and Illinois go at it was awesome, right? I mean, awesome. They're, they're just like a team format where like matchups and the stakes are so awesome. You know, and they impact the duel and the outcomes, and you know, you know, as and it's totally different in a team tournament format. You know, what would happen as opposed to a duel? So, we one hundred percent need to go to a duel format for the team national championship. Um, and then we still, and it would not impact the individual championship at all. Um, if anything, it would help promote it. But then it, I think it needs to be <clears throat> a strictly spring semester sport. Your dual meet championships would, uh, you know, you, you'd have your regular season playoffs championship, you know, and that would run from the beginning of January, probably through the end of February to maybe the right, right the beginning of March. And then it would cut. And then, you know, you have your team championship, then it would switch over into the individual season. Um, then you'd have, you know, your individual tournaments and then your national tournament and your conference and national tournament leading up to that. So you would do the team <laughs> championship before the individual championship. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I was, I and find I myself. Condense, and I would condense it, you know, four, four and a half months total out of the, out of the year. Pre-se- it would, and another thing, like it would just make wrestling more fun, right? There are, People, kids are able to go home for the holidays, spend time with their families. They're able to eat. They're able to, you know, relax and <clears throat> train through that time. And 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 it would just make it more fun and more enjoyable. And the individual championships now and the team championship would not be competing with basketball. The team championship would end at the end of February, maybe the first weekend in March. And that's right when March Madness is ramping up. And then the individual championship would be, you know, at the end of April, maybe right at the beginning of May. And yeah. you wouldn't be competing with March Madness now. Yeah, no, that's that's been it's been talked about for years. A lot of the diehards they get their 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 feathers a little ruffled when you talk about moving it from March, and I get that. There's tradition there, and so if we, I like that's best case scenario. I think is starting it in January, running it through, and doing the individuals in April. I don't if think we it, did anything traditionally like we did a hundred years ago, though. A lot of things be, a lot of things wouldn't be working right now. We have to adapt and change and may, you know, as much as I, you know, love diehard old school wrestling fans, you know, if if you took a guy that wrestled 80 years ago and you wrestled him against Kyle Dake right now and they were both Olympic, you know, <laughs> what would happen, right? Things have to adapt and change and that wrestling's adapted and changed, you know, like, so I get, and, and that change is hard, you know, being able to adapt and adjust is, is a very difficult thing for a lot of people because, you know, they're comfortable in their ways, but we have to look at the overall picture of where we want to get to um, and what are the stepping stones to get there. And right now we're in a system where quite frankly, I mean, we're like trying to deplete the sport. I mean, I really feel that way. I mean, you know, we can't, you can't have a sport where only three days every year matter. But we've always said that with a badge of honor. All I know. that matters is March. And I'm saying the badge of honor, I think we've been, uh, we've, we've been, been duped. Outed. Yeah. We're, we're, <laughs> we're doing ourselves. It's like the three days making a sport just three days out of the year where the stakes are, the, the stakes are at, that high is just is just a just a terrible terrible setup for us 
You know, yeah. I, I think it's going to eventually deplete the, deplete the sport completely. So I have some ideas. I, and I often find myself thinking about this on my leisurely neighborhood walks. If you could do anything, I have, a, I have an idea for if you could do anything and an idea within the existing framework. If you could do anything, I think we should have, let's say it's a four-month season. Yep. You can start it whenever you want. Yep. Month one is tournament season. There are six official NCA ranking tournaments. A wrestler has to attend one ranking tournament to be able to qualify for the individual tournament. After that first month, then we enter the dual season. You do the, you know, you set a limit on 12, 16, 18, 20 duels, whatever it is, probably less, probably like 12 to 16. And a wrestler has to compete in like 75% of them. At the end of the dual season, let's just say the, the Big Ten season, at the end of that season, you have the the regional round where it's getting up to the final four. Then you have the final four, like you were saying, for the dual championships. Mm-hmm. Multi-day event. Multi-day event. It's going to be – could you imagine getting the four best dual teams? I mean, just watching Frank's event at the journeyman event every year. It's In, in a playoff system, like start yeah. with eight and they're hosted regionally. And then, you know, those, you know, those winners go into the final four and, you know, you go quarterfinals, semifinals, national championship, but you come together for a weekend for that, that those four best teams, or even if the, if you decided to do eight, I still think it would be, it'd be, it'd just be incredible. Be electric. And it would, it wouldn't diminish the individual tournament. It would just get everyone excited to see everyone again in a month. There's like, no way. There's no way it would diminish the individual tournament. No, I, and, I, could, I could say it with a lot of confidence that it wouldn't. Yeah. And then it's like, if you did that, even forget the ranking tournament thing. Just say, let's just, kids are us on a lot. Let's just say all they have to do is compete in 75% of the duels and then complete the, the dual playoff. That is like, it just enhances it so much. Yeah. Yeah. It 100%, 100% does. I, I, and, and it makes, it makes duels matter. Like that, that's, that's my biggest thing. It's like, it makes it matter right now. Kids wrestling duels one, because there's somewhat expectation, right. For them to wrestle for their team Two, it's just getting ready, trying to get some matches. And I mean, but really in all reality, I mean, you probably wouldn't need to wrestle in much at all. And you can just show up to the conference tournament and then get to the national tournament. Right. Be beneficial to you, obviously not, but that's the kind of system we have in place right now. Yeah. I think the big thing is you have to count medical forfeits as a loss. I know a lot of people, a lot of people hate that idea, but I think you have to count medical forfeits. Don't care if you hate it, you got to do it. Like, like, yes, is it unfortunate for the kids that, you know, are actually hurt and, and can't compete? Sure, but that's just part of the risk that comes with the sport. I mean, I think you also have to set, if you look at NCAA football, there's a game requirement. The season, I don't know what it is, 14 games, 12 games. That's the requirement. You can't do less than 14 games. You, Can you, you medically don't... forfeit a football game? Right. Like, you can't skip a game. And it because... doesn't count on your record? Right. That'd be like... Michigan not playing Ohio State in the game because they wanted to go to because the they to finals. Be, they want to be in the 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 four in the playoff. Right. That, that's, that's exactly what that is. It's lunacy. It, it it makes you sick to even say it out loud. That's but that's exactly what that's it is. That's what we're doing. That's what's happening. Like that's and that's been my point. I'm like, medical medical forfeits have to count as a loss when you say it in other sports terms. And that's what I'm saying. I'm like, hey, let's take our sport in the current structure that's in place and plug it into the uh, just a different sport. Let's use football. Let's use basketball. Let's use any other sport as an example. What does it sound like when you say that? Yeah. You know what, Michigan, we're, we got a better record. We got a better, you know, RPI. We're, we're doing, we got better statistics. We're just, we're not going to play in this game because it could potentially hurt us getting into the playoff. Instead, we're not playing in this game is securing us a spot in the playoff. It's disgusting. <clears throat> Man, I just don't know how you rationalize that. I mean, and like I said, it's it somewhat unfortunate for the uh for the kids that are, you know, actually get hurt and there's definitely circumstances like that, but you're it's still so overwhelmingly um an issue and you really see it this year. I mean, I think this year out of 
any year in the history of college wrestling, I, I it is very adamant um, how detrimental it is to to the sport. Yeah. And so, if medical forfeits are a loss, let's say that we we establish that any tournament's not part of the season. The official season is sixteen dual meets, and if you know wrestling's an individual sport, people get hurt. So you maybe you can't make them wrestle in every duel. But if you had to set a a a minimum and say to be able to compete in the Big Ten individual championships, you must compete in how many of the sixteen dual meets? What would you say? Ten, twelve, twelve, twelve. If you can't muster up 12 dual meets, <laughs> yeah, bro. And you're going to compete in the ones that as the stakes get higher, right? Right. But but what's going to happen, Ryan, is that all that you would compete in 16 because the regular season, whatever that is, you know, maybe the first, uh, let's say the first whatever many duels the regular season is, that's going to have direct impact on the playoffs. And then that's going to have direct impact on how you get to the national championship. So now you are creating a system that's healthy that puts the stakes at the right level to incentivize competition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just like, and I've thought even from a fiscal standpoint too, to, to, you know, the NCAA should come up with a system where just like in football, now obviously it's not going to be as much because football is huge, just such a big, much bigger sport than wrestling. It's not even close, but now you can really incentivize coaches and staffs to hit those benchmarks. Okay, you go undefeated in conference play. There's bonus. There's a bonus structure there. Mm -hmm. um, you make it to X round in the playoffs. Um, there's a bonus structure there. Your national championship bonus structure, runner-up bonus structure. I mean, I don't know if people realize all these football coaches are making bonuses along the way right now. I mean, mm. whoever wins the national championship game tonight, I guarantee in that that coach's contract along with his staff that's a nice chunk of change coming into their pockets. So let's, let's restructure it that way. <clears throat> and it would just make, it would just be way more. It promote the sport way more and it would be so much fun. I mean, so much fun. And it's like, that's the best part is it, it sounds a little communistic what we're, what we're suggesting here, but it's like, if you don't make the rules that way, the coaches are going to do whatever. And so you have to set a dual meet schedule number. That's the season. Maybe it's 16 duels. Maybe it's 12, whatever it is. That's the college season of 16 duels done from there. You go on to the playoff, then to the finals. And then we get on to the individual season. Like it just, it's such a common sense thing that every other sport, what's the first thing they have is they have a set season. We don't have that. that they don't set. Right. Coaches don't decide that. You know, right. there, there is a committee, there's a board, there's a, there's, there's external third party factors that set that season, you know, that, you know, Mel Tucker's not calling up uh, <laughs> the head, you know, the head coach of Georgia and saying, Hey, you want to play this year? You know, like that's not happening. Right. So I, I, there has to be a committee that's, that's goes through and methodically sets that up with in mind viewership drive driving viewership think about that like let's say i don't know if there's a 16 dual season how many would be like a conference schedule maybe like 10 but to be able to set up six awesome out of conference duels would be so much fun i mean like like send an iowa out to arizona state or, or you just all kinds of different scenarios well you know think of the national duels and we've tried to do this and like you said for popular and everybody's tried to do this but there is no stakes like we're just doing it like to do it and I think like New Orleans would be an awesome, like it's an awesome, I think we should have it in an awesome place like that. Mm -hmm. you know, that final four, that national championship, like do it somewhere that's easy to get to and, and people enjoy coming down and, you know, getting Airbnbs and hotels and, you know, like that, like I don't, I actually, oh, where's the national championship game this year? I think it's in LA. The, uh, yeah, like that, that's like just, and I'm not saying LA is that great of a place actually, but like it, it's usually <laughs> in a, fun place for fans too, you know so we're heading to tulsa this year gabe <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean not, oh, not that i'm like not, I'm not, not that i'm knocking tulsa here but yeah i'm not <laughs> knocking tulsa either but like would it be sweet if it was in you know somewhere in florida or somewhere in texas or somewhere in you know the carolinas or, or just anywhere that's like got 
a beautiful venue and it's not nice and people can walk outside and it's warm weather and it's sunny and it's just it, it's that, that and it's easy to get to you know that, what arena was great was the fort worth one for the trials yeah that was nice yeah it, it was, was like re, fort worth was awesome it was super nice you could walk outside it was very easy to get around um it, it was great i mean as a competitor you know it was it was fantastic um so have it somewhere in there have it somewhere like that uh and then put all the stakes in place so yeah i love it i think we're getting somewhere i just wish there was a a way to do it because it only helped these guys nil value like the more popular the sport becomes the more money they're going to make through nil like 100 and i think they're thinking well if i if i lose this match or if i if i wrestle this and lose you know it's going to hurt my brand and i'm like no it's also opportunity cost on increasing your brand, you know? Um, <clears throat> but if you put this in place that had all these stakes and all this just hype and fun, it's only going to help them help their exposure and help them make more money. I agree. I don't like the NIL. I, I'm not a fan. Not so. a fan. How do you feel about the transfer portal? Um, it's out of hand. I like, you know, I'm not saying I'm, and I'm not saying I'm a completely not a fan of the NIL stuff. I, I don't, I think the NIL and the transfer portal both need to be reined in a lot more. I think it's, it's crazy what's going on in college sports. Cause now you can pretty much buy recruits to go to schools. I mean, how does that work? Like, how do you mean? Well, like, let's say, I mean, let's say I'm a, let's say, let's say I'm, let, let's say I'm the head coach of an Ivy league school, right? I don't have athletic scholarships. Um, to compete with Big Ten and you know, uh, you know some, you know all the other conferences. Well, now that I can, you know, you can use your name and image and likeness to, you know, make money. I call up one of my wealthy alums and I say, hey, uh, you know, you have a huge manufacturing business, um, whatever it is. Uh, I really want to get to be able to. Get, to get this kid to Cornell, but he's got full scholarships from X amount of schools. Your company is going to sponsor him now for the full amount it would cost to go to Cornell or wherever, any Ivy mm -hmm. school, you know? Um, and now you go back to that kid and his parents, you say, Hey, uh, so-and-so is going to now, you know, X company is now going to be able to sponsor you and you get to go to school for free. I mean, that, that, that's what's going on, you know. It, it's not just going on in wrestling. I mean, it's happening. I do think it's happening in wrestling at some sort of level, but it's definitely happening in football. You know, kid, in, kid, kid has a good season, but his team's not that good. He's like, you know what, my stock's going up. I'm going to go in the transfer portal and then get bought by Georgia or Texas A&M. Texas A&M is a great example. All of a sudden they have the world's greatest recruiting class I mean, I think it's diminished now, but I, I it was at one time like the best recruiting class ever. I mean, it was like some absurd amount of five-star recruits. They crumbled this year too. They crumbled, um, but you, it's you know it's not a coincidence. Texas A&M is also the wealthiest the wealthiest university in the in America. You know, they got yeah. all the big oil money coming through that place, and they're literally buying recruits i don't care if jimbo fisher gets on and is like you know you know well, yeah, we got integrity we got all this it's like well to a certain extent now it's legal you can you can do it but um you know don't don't say that you're not doing it because the nil stuff is in the transfer portal are going hand in hand right now you're just they're buying you're, you're able to buy kids do you think it's to the point to it it's so blatant that the coach is telling the recruit and his parents that so-and-so is going to call you or do you think the call just comes in randomly and he doesn't ever speak about it probably has to be really careful about you know his wording and and, and i'm sure coaches do i'm sure they they jump into the the very gray area and and do that but I, i'd say it's probably a mixed bag you know um you know the alumni is obviously going to introduce himself and or or maybe the you know, the sales associate or whoever's in charge of the marketing for the company, you know, yeah, maybe it's not the alumni directly because that maybe that's a little too gray, but 
um, <clears throat> you know, there's definitely, it doesn't take long for the kid to figure out what's going on. So yeah. I, Oh yeah. Um, you know, ex school just visited me and now I'm getting a call from the marketing department of, uh, on a, uh, this guy's company. Oh, he actually graduated from that school that just visited me, you know, like, especially in the wrestling world, it's small. So pool, like, pool cleaning business, huh? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is, you know, it's like, Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's just going to get worse. It definitely has to be reined in. I mean, it, it's ridiculous that you can just get in a transfer portal and in like no time at all, just have a different uniform on and be competing on a different team. Like that's, an, I mean, that's insane to me. There's no more loyalty. It's impossible to, impossible to, you know, I mean, I really feel for like the big, the big time uh, sports because it's like, you got, you imagine you got parents calling head coaches saying, you know, where's my son's NIL deal or where's, you know, if you don't get him this and then he's getting in the transfer portal and leaving, you know, and, and, and the coaches had enough BS to deal with, you know, trust me before all this crap. So I just, there's just so much, it just adds so much. It, it just takes away from why we compete. But that's what I struggle with. I'm like, why do you compete? Do you compete for money? Do you compete for fame? Do you compete for, for validation? Or do you compete because you love it? Like it's, it's part of, you know, what flows through your blood, you know, when just the pride and the, the opportunity to be able to step out on the field, on the, on the court, on the mat, whatever it is, like the pureness of sport, we've just, <clears throat> we're just, just feel like we're destroying it and the crazy thing is that you know this as well as i do we do anything to go back and have some more matches in college like you're only when you're 10 years out in business <laughs> or, or whatever it is no one's gonna no one remembers you that long like it only takes a few cycles until it's all over anyway as long as i get my conditioning back heck yeah <laughs> but but i uh 100 i mean like it is it goes so fast I mean, it really does. It just, I mean, I, I turned 28 in June. So about, you know, half a year, you know, and I can remember like when I was 18, like yesterday, just stepping on campus for the first time. And, um, and it's just, nobody, nobody knows who you are, you know, and, and especially in wrestling. I mean, unless you're like one of the unique ones, you know, you're consistently making world and Olympic teams and winning medals, you know, um, <clears throat> and that's very few, um, you, your window in this sport, if you're doing, if you're doing this sport for fame or, or attention or, you know, any of that kind of stuff, your window is so short um, that it just, you really got to have another reason why, why you decided to, to compete and go through it. Um, it, you know, the only reason I'm still somewhat relevant is because I have a brother that's competing in college, um, which is awesome like i can't tell you how many times ryan like people are like hey you're max dean's brother yeah <laughs> hell yeah. yeah yeah it's awesome i mean it's what it's what i i, I prefer anyways um you know Dude, what was so, it like when he won last year that feeling oh man i, I mean you know you, i would say you do it yourself which is an incredible feeling i mean you know walking off that stage and being able to say you're an NCAA champion and all the hard work that went into that is, is incredible feeling. And I would say like, if that was, if, if I thought that was a 10 max winning an NCAA title is a 20, like, like it doubles, wow. it doubles, at least doubles the value. Um, it, it's just such a, cause you love that person so much and you just, it's like, you've never wanted something more for um, for like you and you would, you wouldn't even hesitate to say, Oh, I would give up one of mine so he could get his, you know, and I'm not just saying that. Cause like, I'm like selfless, you know, I'm just saying like, that's how you just feel when your siblings out there competing and putting everything on the line. And um, just to see him accomplish it is just, yeah. I mean, I figured, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to have children someday. I'll probably, that'll probably 
you know, you know be number one and then marriage, you know, that, that'll be number two. But, you know, I, I, it's hard to imagine another feeling, you know, past that, that you could, you could put, you know, on that ladder. So, wow. That's amazing. I just watching and seeing the pictures of you guys was awesome. And so it's, uh, yeah, I was just dying to know. And, and speaking of it, you're engaged, right? I am. I just got engaged. Yep. Congrats, brother. That's Thank awesome. You. Thank you. Yeah, you're going. On, I heard uh, you're going on your honeymoon this week, right? Big one, man. Yeah, leaving on Friday. So, Where are you guys uh, headed? New Zealand. Oh wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it should be. Uh, <laughs> it'll be fun, man. It'll be. A, it'll be a good time. It's a um, long flight though. Like how, six, how far? Like sixteen, I believe. Yeah. 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 So. Well, that. Well, congrats, man. That's awesome too. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, I wanted to get to a few other questions from Twitter just because there was a few in here that I was curious myself. Sure. Um, one of the things is that you, someone rec talked about your football days and you said how you love multi-sport athletes. What is it that you really like about that? Well, I mean, if you really want to get, if you, first of all, I think the most important thing for any kid that's developing, um, you know, and if you're, if you know, and the way the approach that my parents took, which I think is, uh, I was, I was super blessed to have the mother and father that I did and the role models in my life. But the, the first, I think the first thing is that you want to play multiple sports because, um, you're going to get such more, much more out of your childhood, you know, like, uh, playing football in high school and wrestling in high school for me, it was a great break from each one. And I learned so much from each experience. So my development was, you know, mentally and, and physically was, was, I feel like increased exponentially. Um, but when you get to college, you, that is your job. I mean, like I said, I wrestled 74 matches that first year, then almost 160 for the rest of my career. Like if you've been hitting that that hard your whole life, you're, you're way, I mean, it's scientifically proven. You're way more prone to injury. You're way more prone to being burnt out. I mean, I can't tell you, I mean, a lot of the best kids in the country that get into college wrestling that you never hear about again. Um, I wasn't one of them. Um, and when you get to that college level, you have to be internally motivated. Mom and dad are not going to be there to hold your hand. And I think playing multiple sports teaches you how to be disciplined, how to be motivated, keeps you healthy, keeps your de you developing, gives you a break from one or the other, but keeps you active and moving and, you know, moving towards an ultimate goal. And I think that 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 kid's curve, as opposed to just a single sport athlete their whole life, is way higher when they get into the college level. I think it's good. And I, I hope I hope more people are hearing that message. And it reminded me of something you, you said the first time we spoke that I still remember to this day around like internal discipline. And you go, when you take more pride in your discipline than you do your wins and losses, you become a dangerous wrestler. And I, bro, to this day, I think about that. Become a dangerous athlete. I mean, when you stop caring about winning or losing and you take more pride in your preparation and everything that's in your control than what the outcome of any competition is, it is amazing. Not only the weight it takes off your shoulders, but how how detail oriented you get, um, that is a direct correlation to your success uh, and, and winning. Um, but you have to let go of trying to control the uncontrollable, which is the outcome. Detail oriented. I didn't really think about that. So what you well, got you were. I tell when I tell when I talk to kids all the time, I'm like become the best in the country at preparing. Like you become the NCAA champion at preparation because that gives you so much confidence. If I know nobody's out preparing me the way I eat, the way I sleep, the way I train, the way to the very nth degree, I know when I walk on the mat, there's that I'm in the best possible position I could possibly be in to compete at the highest level. Um, and that, that confidence comes from how you prepare. So I, I just think that, you know, but if you're completely focused on winning and losing and completely clouded by that, um, it takes away from being disciplined in preparation. So like how maniacal were you about like going to bed and like, like were you crazy about all that stuff or what were the big things for you? To a T. 
like really like the things I ate and the things like, like I put in my body, the times that I went, the time that I went to bed, you know, the travel, you know, on how I approach travel, the foods that I would buy um, for different parts of the week leading up to competition. Um, you know, just, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't superstitious, but I was a little stitious. So All I right. would say completely, you know, I figured out what worked for me and, um, and what had me feeling and competing at the highest level. And I stuck to that, um, and didn't waver from it. Man, is Kyle Dake like the ultimate of that? I remember when we went to oh, Texas, yeah. he brought like a sink adapter. <laughs> yeah. I don't think, you know, I'll be the first to say, I don't think maybe on the level of Kyle is, I mean, Kyle's, Kyle's like, I mean, and, and directly correlates to his success too, you know, but Kyle would probably sit here and tell you the same thing, you know, you know, preparation is everything to him. Um, he takes everything. So to a granular level, um, and just, you know, travel around and being his training partner and helping him, you know, the way I could for, uh, for a couple of years there, um, you know, just front row seats to a guy that puts his heart and soul into preparing to compete at the highest level. And how do you look at, now that you're in the business world, I mean, the rate you're growing for a, a young man in the business world, 28 is just amazing to see. And I'm sure a lot of it's tied to wrestling. How do you look at like your preparation and business on a daily basis? Oh, it's a, I'd say it's like, you know, uh, and, and thank you. I, I, I think we're, I think we are building something really special here. And, and um, I, I, I think that the, 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 the big difference, the difference between um, wrestling and the business world is like, you have to work with like a lot of people and not that, you know, you're a part of a team in wrestling, but like, if you take care of yourself, you take care of the team, you know, like it's kind of, it's kind of the way it is, you know, it's uh, more. That's selfish. a great quote. <laughs> that, I mean, it's just the truth. Um, in the business world, you're working with multiple different personalities, um, multiple different, uh, you know, to get to a common goal. So there's like, it's more like a team, you know, I'd describe it way more towards like a football team that's trying to compete at the highest level. You know, these people are all really good in their different positions and you're just, you know, you're working with them and trying to support them in the different areas to get to the common goal. Um, which is not an end destination. Um, businesses, it, it continues, you know, we continue to push till, you know, till you retire, till you die or whatever you decide to stop. So I think that was a big transition for me is like, I would push so hard and then boom, March would happen. And it was like, okay, you know, I'm done for a little bit. I'm gonna take some time off and then, you know, wait till, you know, the preseason ramps up or freestyle, whatever. And, uh, you know, this never ends. Right. So, uh, but I would say the things that are very similar are, um, I'd say 10% of the people do 90% of the work. So you have to build around, especially as a startup, um, which we are, you have to build around amazing, very hardworking, disciplined, all the same values that you look for in a great wrestler. You need to bring those people into your company. And um, because at the beginning, five people are going to be doing 25 people's jobs, you right. know, and um, and then that obviously grows and, you know, you're able to take more and more, pre you know, pressure off that core group. Um, but the the similar values that you look for in a great wrestler and what makes a great wrestler are the same things that you look for um, and build around in, in, a, in a business. Uh, and, and we've been lucky enough and fortunate enough to to have those individuals, um, which a lot of them have come through the wrestling world and the network. So, um, <clears throat> and you guys are building stuff, like actually building the stuff, hands-on heavy metal, iron, like, are you right? Yeah, I mean, what's I mean, the day in the life like? Yeah, we're, we're, you know, we're, um, white steel manufacturing company with, uh, and, and we created a real estate investment company at the same time. So, um, they kind of go hand in hand, our niche that we, uh, that we're focusing in, we develop, we, we, uh, build a product that, um, drives valuation, has huge tax incentives and, um, and, uh, get, gets us a great return quickly as opposed to probably a lot of different other models. So, um, we've created a really, really unique model, um, uh, through trial and error, you know, and, and, and a lot of different, you know, piece and a lot of different things together, but, um, I've got to, uh, you know, really settle into a great business plan, which has allowed us to grow quickly. Um, so, 
Um, you know, we, we definitely are doing a lot where, you know, we create a property management team within the company. We're, we're become a developer, we're manufacturing and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're a real estate investment, you know, for, you know, becoming a real estate investment company too. So are your customers end users who want to put one in their backyard or are your customers, people who own a huge fleet of properties and they want to offload it or they want to build like a new storage facility it, you know the customers that we started as a retail company um and I, just because probably i didn't know what i was doing so um <laughs> you know you just get in there and you just start figuring it out so we started kind just of a slinging retail. from the hip dude <laughs> yeah yeah kind of have a you know you, you kind of have a generalized plan but it, you, you have to continue to change and adapt quickly um in order to stay you know above water so that, that was really at the beginning and um we started at you know putting into people's backyard, selling them like they were sheds for the backyard. And which was, which was great, actually worked, worked well. Um, but what we realized what quickly was like, that's just a single transaction. You know, <clears throat> how are we going to create wealth, drive assets, drive equity and continuous cash flow? You know, yes. Do you get to a certain level of volume of retail sales? I can do that. And, and you, you can, um, but how do we keep, how do we take benefit? You know, this product is, is a unique product, the engineering and the way that we manufacture, it's very unique. Um, we don't let anybody in our shops without signing an NDA just cause it's so, it's so unique. Um, so how do we, how do we take this high efficiency system, but put it into a, uh, uh, combine it with a system that's not just one-off transactions. We take benefits of the margin of the retail, but also, um, drive, um, eternal cash flow and value. And that's when we were like, we should probably transition away from the backyard and start looking at acquiring and developing real estate. Now, these wouldn't work in like a strip mall. We're not going to be buying strip malls and putting sheds all over the place. <laughs> what are the, what are the like asset classes that we should be targeting? And, um, you know, once you put the the financing and, and start working with the right banks and putting the debt structure in the right place, um, that's that's when the business and we and got into acquiring assets um, and 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 those assets buying, you know, you know, and acquire in in, in driving NOI and, and uh, the valuation of the real estate side was driving the manufacturing side and they were grow they started growing together because of you know. The purchase power from the real estate side, but also the 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 units themselves driving that NOI on the the real estate side, um, and the asset classes that we're in, uh, is when the business really started to take off, and we were, we were really starting to able to grow quickly. It's cool because you're doing it with your family. I see your your grandpa on a on a machine <laughs> there driving around. I'm like, jeez, yeah, they don't you know, play, don't play around there in the Dean family. Everyone's we, we, working. We, you know, my grandpa's 81 years old. Uh, <laughs> He's unbelievable. I, uh, I draw a ton of inspiration from him. He does not go a day without working. Um, he's he's on a forklift in here, <laughs> uh, moving material around. He's going to a different facilities and doing maintenance work on him. I mean, uh, just an incredible, incredible person. He's one of those throwbacks that's probably never been late a day in his life, that kind of thing. No, no. I mean, you know, uh, electrician his whole life. Um, and, and then started a lawn care company for a while. When I was a little kid, he had retired and he actually really taught. I think a lot of the, I mean, I learned it from my parents too, but a lot of my, like, you know, the work ethic and the drive and, you know, being doing 80 to 90 to hundred hour weeks um, comes from, you know, just being little and he, him grabbed me and put me in the truck and I was pushing lawnmowers all day, you know, and, and uh, wow. you know, he was just such an amazing influence from such a, you know, since I was, since I could walk. So um, you know, very lucky to be just part of like a you know very close you know knit family, and and we have we have other partners too that are that uh, everybody's values align really well. So, and I think that's what's really important. If you're going to get started in a business and you're going to you're going to bring partners in and you're going to grow something, um, you can obviously actually you need to have different personalities for the different areas that you're working in, um, but your values have to align. So, uh, in order to, for it to be successful. Well, it's obvious you guys have something special going on there, and it's it's oh. awesome to watch from afar. Last question for you, Gabe Dean, is one of the questions you said we were going to tackle here is mindset going into match with with one bow nickel, and and just in general, I'd love to talk about 
mindset going into matches, but in particular, if that one sticks out to you. Yeah, that was a, that was a good question. Um, I will say I, I don't, um, and, and definitely not, I mean, I lost a match and, and what happened, what happened. I, I definitely don't want to take away from that when I say this, uh, but I definitely wasn't in a, in a great place. Um, I, I had, uh, I, I had some personal stuff going on in my life and I also, um, you know, that, that was weighing pretty heavy on me. And I also, um, and I let get to me and that's my own fault. Uh, you know, uh, complete, let that distract me from, you know, the task at hand. And then, uh, I, uh, in the conference tournament two weeks earlier, um, had torn cartilage in my rib. So, uh, which I've never experienced that before. It's not fun. Uh, it, it, it kind of makes it like when you breathe it, it hurts, you know, um, so I, I don't, I think I let all that distract me. Uh, I was kind of focused on uh, walking into that match. I, uh, I, I not, no fear, you know, no, no nerves from, you know, the, the, the competition, just more uh, cloudy, you know, just not, not. And I think I wrestled, you know, that year, that year I'd wrestled, so clear, so on task, um, so just focused uh, on points and scoring and dominating. And um, I definitely was not. And I, I think the whole NCAA tournament, really, I was a little I, – I don't think – actually, uh, for all the competitions of that year, I think I actually competed – the NCAA tournament, I competed the worst. And normally you would feel a certain way or have a certain routine before a match. And it was different from this one, the way you felt. It was different. It was just, it's like, I, I wasn't like excited, you know, I was more like, okay, you know, let's see, let's get this done. Let's see if I can pull it off and get this third national title. You know, it was more like almost something like I drag, like I had to go get done um, as opposed to like, I mean, I, it's one of my, I tell, and I've told plenty of young wrestlers, this is like, guys, like something that I have to live with every day. And it's one of my biggest regrets is the way I prepared for that tournament and for that final match um, mentally. Um, and I, uh, I just let the things that I really couldn't control at the time become more important than taking care of what the task at hand. And, uh, and ultimately I lost and, lost a lot of uh things with it you know third national title um probably was in line to win the hodge trophy that year um and uh it's something that you know something that uh i use now to you know if uh kids are going through you know personal stuff and hard things like hey if you're in the middle of you know a big competition you know the thing the one thing that i fear most is living with regret and um that's that's definitely an example of uh, that I use when I'm talking to young young competitors that maybe be going through something similar or some some hard times. So, and what do you think the lesson is there for those kids is to just focus on what you can control? Um, the the things that were affecting me, those things, like you're gonna deal with those things the rest of your life. I mean, that that's just gonna happen. Uh, you know injuries or personal stuff like those things are going to happen but you only get this moment maybe once maybe just a handful of times um so you better know your priorities and where you want your focus to be in time in, in, in critical moments and if you let them get out of whack like i did uh you will, you will regret it 100%. Maybe, and, and, and it's not even that I lost that hurt me so bad. If I would have went out there and ripped it and just been super clear and just on task and focused and prepared, you know, just like my normal self, if I lost, I can live with that, you know? Mm -hmm. That's no, but the thing that you struggle with the most is all those things that, leading up to that moment that you could have done better. Um, and I think that's the, that's the thing that eats at you. Uh, so. Wow. Well, I really, I really appreciate you sharing that. Cause I know it's going to help at least one wrestler, if not more. And 
not only wrestlers, just people in general who are trying to uh, to accomplish anything. So thank you for sharing that. And, and thanks for coming on, Gabe. I know you're a busy guy. It's been an honor to have you. Any last words before we sign off, my man? Well, I just want to say it's uh, it's been an honor being on Wrestling Changed My Life. I think this is like, uh, well, I think I know you filmed us, you know, get up to the trial. So I, if you don't count that, it's like my third interview. So I, I'm, I'm very honored to be on such a amazing podcast. Ryan, you do such a great job. Um, just uh, love everything that you're doing. You definitely impacted the sport in such a positive way and can't tell you how much I appreciate everything you do. Thank you, brother. Recurring guest, Gabe Dean. <laughs> Thanks, man. That's it, folks. Have a good one, Gabe. We'll be back with another episode this week, folks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life with Gabe Dean. To support this show, please go to btschicago.org donate. Download Quant Wrestling from the Apple and Google Play stores. Go to our online merch store, store.wrestlingchangemylife.com. And for all past episodes, go to WrestlingChangeMyLife.com. We'll see you with a new episode on Friday. Peace!